0: For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And we got a really good episode today. All right. But before I talk about today's episode, I got to fill you in on how my my last week has been. So last week, my boy early on in the week, he gets sick, right? Starts complaining of I think it was uh, Tuesday. It was a Tuesday night And he starts complaining of a stomach ache at football practice. And I'm just like, okay, well, maybe he's got to (laughs) poop. And so I get him home. He doesn't doesn't poop. Um, But he wakes up in the middle of the night and he just starts throwing up. And he's throwing up and he starts shitting himself. And he's just like, you know, I'm I'm coming at you straight from... um, you know, there's no, there's no chocolate covering on the, there's no, there's no silver lining to this, uh, this discussion. It's str- I'm coming to you straight as a parent, straight as a dad. So he's throwing up, he's shitting himself. He's up all night, which means I'm up all night taking care of him. You know, I got to give him like two baths. Uh and, and this kid, he's like, I'm like, buddy, please. All I ask, I know you're not feeling well, just puke in the toilet. All I care about is just puke in the toilet. The first time he walks out of the bathroom, I laid down some blankets in the bathroom. That's where I wanted him to try to get some rest because who knows where he was going to puke. He pukes in the, he, he, he gets out of the bathroom after he, he pukes the first time. Walks into the living room, sits on the couch, pukes all over the rug. Okay. Clean that up. Comes back out, lays on the couch, pukes all over the, the rug floor thingy that's underneath the rug all right gotta clean that up goes back to the bathroom lays on the floor stands up pukes all over the blankets that he was using there and not one time other than the first time did he puke in the toilet and so for like i'm not joking i was doing laundry for like shit 48 hours straight and he gets better He ends up kind of going back to school. And wouldn't you know it, that next night, guess who's throwing up? Me. And so I I was kind of feeling weird on that Thursday. And uh, I was like, and I've been around the block enough times to know, when you start feeling weird, it's just hold on for the ride. And sure enough, Thursday night, and, and this is not an exaggeration. I was throwing up harder and more violently than I have in my entire life. I mean, harder than any alcohol-induced vomiting, uh, any flu I've ever had in the past, nothing compared to how hard I threw up. I felt, I felt like a shift in my guts to where, dude, like, I, I was pulling stuff. I was throwing up stuff that had come out of my intestines back into my stomach. It was the most disgusting smelling shit that I had ever smelled. On top of that, I had diarrhea, like just explosive diarrhea, cramping. Um, when, I, when I was throwing up, my like sweating, I just was sweating, tearing up. Like I was throwing up so hard, my, like, my abs were sore. It's like just painfully sore. Like I I did a a million sit-ups. And so, and then the next day, you know, I finally got a little sleep. And then the next day I, I laid down for so long, I think my muscles started going into atrophy. And so my wife took care of the the kids and until I kind of started uh, and luckily this all happened over a three-day weekend in which we didn't have any plans over this uh, this holiday weekend and so <laughs> so I'm glad I got it out of the way now I go I thought there was like a two-hour period where I was like man I, I kind of feel I kind of feel okay now and then my my throat Started hurting, and I think it's a mixture of I was weak, and then another sickness or or like sinus infection came in on top of me throwing up so hard. I literally think I I tore my throat because um, I I couldn't sw- swallow without wincing. That, that's how bad it hurt. And so now I'm on a steady diet of uh, Vicks vapor rub, cough drops chloroseptic spray, and, uh, basically just medicating myself through Walgreens in order to, uh, have enough gusto to do this, uh, do this podcast. But I'm going to tell you right now, the best part about it is that it has come before I leave for my hunting trips right now. I'm still waiting for my wife to get sick. I'm still waiting for my youngest boy to get sick. Uh, two days later, my daughter got sick and so she missed, uh, no, she didn't miss any school because it was the weekend. She got sick on Friday night. And and so Saturday, yeah, she got sick on Friday and Saturday. And then Sunday, we were all kind of just the whole family kind of recovered, did laundry, bleached the entire house, all that stuff. So that's that is what's going on. I'm just thankful that it happened when it happened and not. Affecting a hunting trip or any sporting events that my boy uh, and daughter have coming up But what i'm getting at is it's over now like i'm on the i'm on the downhill slide and uh, I'm I'm glad I just knock on wood that nobody else gets it and that it doesn't affect any type of hunting uh, That I got coming up in the near future, but so that that's kind of an update until today the other thing I want to say Is I know I talked about this on a previous episode, but I want to reiterate how awesome it is to not have to change bows. Uh, Because for a while there, I was changing bows almost every year, and you got to go through the setup, and you got to go through you know getting a new string, peep sight, you know, knock, and and then just tuning your tuning your bow to get it back into you know active. find accuracy this year I didn't have to do that so it's awesome just picking up a bow and shooting it and it's on I have to do some just some very minor tweaks but I don't know if you guys have ever walked away from uh like a week of shooting where you just you feel almost cocky where you're like if there is a deer and for me that magic number is 60 yards um for several reasons one like i just like for me where i'm confident at on top of that my last pin on my sight only goes to 60 yards and i think that's good it's like i'm forcing myself to get within 60 yards of an animal and so if there's a deer right now i feel that's a that's of shooter shooter caliber for me and when i head out west that's uh, pretty much any legal deer i'll tell you this i feel sorry for that animal because it's going to get an arrow and so i uh i I, i'm walking away from this last week of shooting uh i got you know i still have two more weeks to go actually today is the let me look at my calendar real quick let's see here where are we at so i am one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve days away i'm 12 days away from my first uh hunting trip and so I'm just going to continue to shoot, build that confidence even more, and so I'm feeling confident with that. I got to pack my gear; um, it's all it's all there. I just have to organize it. I got to uh, do some maintenance on my truck, and then it's game time, baby. And uh, I've done the scouting; I've done. I know where I'm going. Uh, the equipment is uh, on par, and so it's just game time. So I don't know. I'm feel, I'm starting to get fired up for the, these upcoming trips hopefully hopefully the health uh sits where it needs to be and the family and myself just kind of recover from this really shitty weekend we've had and and uh all things go well now today's episode it's a really good hunter profile podcast if you are if you're the kind of guy who is looking to take that next jump up into um you know locating big deer and what you have to do to locate big deer, right? And so today's guest talks a lot about, um, you know, if your goal is to shoot a 150, you're going to have to do some traveling if there's no 150s in your area or if there's no four-year-olds in your area. You know, if, if you want to shoot a big buck, here's what it takes, Right, and so there's there's all these different methods of you know the same outcome, but today's guest has his own method, has his own strategy, uh, and it's a really good episode. I, I enjoy. I've, I've met this guy multiple times. Really great dude. He's a law enforcement officer. Actually, he's a detective. <laughs> the dude has some crazy stories um, of, of his profession and what he does for a living and how he uses that 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 stress that he's under at his job while he's in the tree stand and uses hunting as therapy so it's a really good hunter profile podcast man we talk about strategy we talk about locating deer accessing properties whether that's knocking on doors uh for permission getting information from locals and um you know, from anybody in an area to, to see if that area holds good deer. And we even talk about leasing for a little bit. Now, before um, we get into the episode, though, I do have to tell you that there was some, uh, towards the end of this episode, it's just going to stop right and I I'm not sure if what my Wi-Fi went down or blipped well anyway it stopped recording and so there there's gonna be a part where it's just this very hard stop and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get him back on the podcast to talk about leasing property because he actually uh, leases a handful of properties and so what I'm uh, what I'm gonna tell you is that there's a hard stop it may sound awkward, but that's just where we're ending it. And uh, so I apologize for that, but here's your heads up for that. So before we get into today's episode, though, um, man, even even out west, I'm going to be taking my saddle just in case there's an opportunity for me to hop into like a real small pine tree or a real small tree out west and, and intercept a mule deer. So uh, I think it's a, a multifunctional uh uh, utensil, so to speak that, that piece of equipment. And so if you're chasing mule deer, you're chasing elk. I know guys who have hunted out of a saddle, um, it for mule deer and elk as well as antelope. So, uh, you can use it just about anywhere. And, uh, that's why I feel like it, it, it has such great functionality and usage for uh, a bow hunter. And that's a tethered saddle. These guys have, uh, all the equipment you need, whether it's a saddle itself, a platform, a, uh, uh, climbing sticks, the, all of the accessories, you name it, they got it. Go check out tethered's website, wasp archery, just like, I'm, I have, a, I just had a dozen arrows come in. So they're at the shop right now. I'm getting them fletched. I'm getting them cut and I'm getting the insert put in. And then my day six arrows are all going to have Wasp broadheads put in. I'm going with the jackhammers again, like I always do. Very confident in in that equipment. And so, long story short, my goal is to put a Wasp broadhead through uh, a mule deer or a whitetail in Nebraska and uh, follow the blood trail, man. That's, uh, that's what Wasp is good at. The material, the design, the people behind the, the brand. All excellent. So visit wasparchery.com. And if you, let's see here, I got a discount code for you 20% off discount NFC20. Get them now. Get them now uh, before the season starts. Jackhammers, fixed blades, whatever you want. Uh, wasparchery.com 20% off NFC20. And then we have Hunt Stand. It's time. I mean it's it's that time I've already done all of the scouting e-scouting. I have data points on my map from all of the other hunts that I've been on. So now it's time to just use hunt stand as a reference, right? The the data collection will still continue throughout all my hunts and all of the 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 places that I, you know, the places I go, what I see, it's all going to get documented and journaled on HuntStand, but now it's it's time to use it as a reference, as a, a place to go look at the data you've already collected, get out there, and and start making moves. You know, the, the mapping on it is second to none, and so the satellite imagery, in my opinion, is the best that's out there. So huntstand.com if if you if you don't have it go download it for free play around with it and then when it's time to upgrade it's only 30 bucks uh for an entire year so the the functionality definitely outweighs the cost of getting Huntstand. so uh, it's very affordable go check it out that's it's 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 the number one most popular for a reason so huntstand.com discount code SN20 for 20% off for Hunt Stand. And then last but definitely not least, the whole crew at Vortex. Okay, VortexOptics.com. Um, I'm, I'm just jacked. There's one place in particular that I'm really looking forward to hunting in Nebraska, and it's this huge drop off over this valley of these little drainages and cuts and, and things where I can sit with my spotting scope. And just pick apart every single detail of the terrain with my spotter and my binos. And so I got my rangefinder, I got my binos, I got my spotting scope. I have my hat, <laughs> my my vortex socks. All of these things play a huge role in these hunts. And so if you're looking for the best optics in the hunting space, and a lot more than just the quality of the product goes into that. Their customer service is second to none. Their VIP warranty is second to none. So what you got to do is you got to go check out vortexoptics.com. Find the optics that are right for you, even if you're a shooting sport guy, you know, rifle scopes, red dots, all that stuff. So vortexoptics.com. We're done with the commercials. Let's get into today's episode with my buddy, Ryan Herman, and he's going to talk about, uh, we're going to do a little hunter profile, so to speak. So enjoy this episode guys three two one all right on the phone with me today a fellow iowan ryan herman ryan how we doing man not too bad how are you dan doing good doing good now i've known you for a little while we've hung out we've went on a a couple shed hunts together uh in the past and and uh had a good time but you are uh you're a fellow iowan where where are you from in iowa well, I'm
1: actually from Minnesota. Oh, okay. uh, my wife and I both grew up um, just outside of Mankato, which would be kind of in the south, south central part of the state. Yep. Um, but we, we moved to Iowa, oh, it's been about 12 years now. Um, we originally lived uh, in the Mason City area, and then I lived, uh, I took a promotion with work and moved down to the Mount Pleasant area. And then, uh, recently in the last year, uh, had the opportunity to move back closer to home. And so my wife and I relocated, uh, to Mason city, uh, about, yeah, about 11 months ago.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, and so when you originally moved down to the, to Iowa, did you do that in hopes of becoming an Iowa resident and, and hunting the, the deer that we have?
1: Yeah, So yeah. Um, the I wouldn't say that it was the main decision. The the main the main reason that I moved to Iowa, but it certainly helped. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, my career choice is is law enforcement, and I went to school in Minnesota for law enforcement. But I took uh, the route of um, not sta- like. At the school that I went to, you could either become Minnesota certified or you could just be basically regular certified. Yeah. And I knew that I wasn't staying in Minnesota. Yeah. And so I just went the kind of the cheaper route. I went the other route and actually I told my wife on our very first date, like, hey, I don't know if you're if you're if you're OK with this, but I'm not staying in Minnesota and uh, I'm moving as far south as possible. Um, I didn't make it very far. I <laughs> look, looking, looking at a map. Um, it, uh, you know, I, I didn't, uh, didn't shoot too far, but, uh, when I got out of, when I got out of college, I applied with, uh, several federal law enforcement agencies. Um, I applied with a couple agencies in, in Texas, uh, in Iowa and then, uh, Wisconsin as well. And, and part of that is, you know, I, I love the Midwest. I, I, I you know, I've, served time in the military and lived all over the country and been all over the world. And I can honestly say that there's no better place, uh, arguably in the world, uh, than, than the Midwest. So yeah. I kind of knew that, that, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, um, you know, maybe, maybe Missouri, um, Kansas, th- those were places that I was looking, uh, to, to,
0: um, you know, pursue my career and, and, and move, I guess. Yeah. So you decided that you were going to be in uh, law enforcement. And so did you come out of that with a specialty of some sorts or just like, hey, I want to be a police officer?
1: No, I just I went to I went to college uh, just kind of for a regular uh, criminal justice degree. Uh, I went to the University of Minnesota in Mankato. Um, they have a very good program for uh, I think it's a I think they call the program law enforcement, uh, but criminal justice. And, um, you know, luckily I was, I was able to get hired on, um, with the Iowa department of public safety and specifically I was hired, uh, with the division of criminal investigation. So I guess I I am a special agent with the Iowa DCI is my title. Um, but after serving a few years in kind of an entry level position, I was promoted to the major crime unit. And so I am assigned specifically to the major crime unit in Mount or in, excuse me, in, uh, Mason City, and I said Mount Pleasant. I was about to say Mount Pleasant because that's where I was originally assigned to, and I I worked out of that office for uh, seven and a half years, and yeah. so yeah,
0: yeah. So but, so in, in a in a, a different way of putting it, you're also you're kind of a detective, correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, um, yep. So I work uh, like I said for the DCI, and we are an uh, assist, assist agency, so I don't go out and you know. Create my own cases. Um, we we get called by local law enforcement, sheriff's offices, police departments, and we we assist them. And specifically in my unit, I, we only do uh, essentially felony level cases. And the majority the majority of my casework is uh, death investigations and officer involved shootings. Um, but we, we I get involved in everything from oh fraud and. Um, You know, theft cases, uh, sexual assault cases, child pornography cases, uh, just kind of a a, a, kind of get a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you a question. All right. So I understand a police officer may have some stressful moments. Um, And let's just say, for example, uh, a police officer tries to pull someone over. And a guy pulls a gun on him, tries to shoot him. They take off, high speed chase. You know, that's a pos. That's like a worst case scenario in a police officer's day, or, or maybe uh, a shooting or something like that that goes down. But yeah. f- for you, you you kind of have to. <laughs> you get to see the details of all this and I'm, and I've talked to you about this before and I've heard some of the things that you've had to, to say, and we're talking about some of the, the most gruesome, some of the most worst people in like the, like the garbage of society, so to speak. How are you able to like look at that all day long and then disconnect and go home and be a father and husband? Yeah, I mean uh, that that it really comes down to having a supportive family,
1: um, and my wife specifically. Um, that's that's a big part of it, and then also uh, I have two older brothers, and both of my older brothers are in law enforcement as well. And so it's one of those things where through that and through other friendships or, or people that uh, I have a, a brother-in-law. Or it's actually my brother's brother-in-law. He's also a cop. My sister-in-law, it'd be my wife's sister. She's a police officer in Texas, and so definitely like, you know, they always talk about like the, the brotherhood or, yeah. or whatever within law enforcement. Well, we truly have like a, an actual brotherhood within yeah. a brotherhood. So, yeah. um but it, it, like I was saying, it, it comes back to having a supportive wife and like she realizes that there's sometimes where, you know uh you come home or I come home and you just, you know, she can tell that I don't want to talk Yeah. and it just, you know, you just kind of got to separate yourself. Um, You know, how, how I do that, you know, it's funny that, um, when I'm driving home I typically shut the radio off and it's just like silence yeah. which is always kind of uh, helpful Yeah. Uh, and I used to do that in the academy too when, when we'd get dismissed for the weekend the academy is so uh, crazy that I would just shut the radio off and I would drive the two and a half hours from Des Moines, Iowa back, back to uh, Mankato uh, actually it was probably closer to three hours and uh, I would just shut with the radio off just to kind of tune it out and yeah. just kind of you know, it's very, it's been very helpful, but, um, yeah, having a supportive family is a big part of it. And then, I mean, like you said, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, some of the things that people like what human beings will do to other human beings.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's usually something pretty, pretty sad as to why that those things are happening, but
0: man, human beings are,
1: we're, we are interesting creatures, that's yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I'm sure you get to see the, the, the full spectrum from the nicest, most genuine, honest, hardworking people, all the way down to just like scum. You know what I mean? And so, um, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah.
1: And I mean, it's one of those things too, where my, my job my job isn't always all this gloom and doom. There's definitely right. some some good good moments and things. And yeah, uh, yeah. you know, one thing that kind of someone said to me one time, another agent said to me is, um, you know, you are meeting people on their worst day.
0: Yeah. That's a great way, worst, way to put it.
1: The worst day of their life has just happened and you are the first person they're talking to about yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so you are a, a deer hunter as well, right? So I got, I have two questions on how deer hunting and this job could, connect with each other and the first one is so again you you see some of you know you 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 get to see or you work in an environment that has the potential to be very dark and not like the the opposite of happy right and so how how does deer hunting I don't know some guys would call it therapy how, how does that play a role in your life
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely therapy. Um, that that's a big part of it. I I often refer to it, and I'm I'm stealing this term from someone else. But uh, uh, tree stand therapy is yeah. a big part of it. Um, and it, it, it's weird that you know, I know there's a lot of people who can't do all day sits. I know there's a people who you know want to want to hunt for two hours every day and 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 are okay with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, part of part of decompressing, I guess, is you know having that. I guess that rut vacation, the seven days straight where you're running and gunning and it's, it's nothing for me to, sh- to sit and do, um, you know, three, three or four days sun up to sundown all day sits, which, you know, I-, I would argue has contributed to my success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time that it, it's that, that benefit, like you have no problem doing it because I don't know, like your job and well, you said you have a military background, you have a law enforcement background. And I'm, I'm guessing this is just me um, putting words in your mouth, so to speak, that you have to have patience for those jobs in order to become successful. And that kind of carries over into the tree stand.
1: For sure. Yep. Yeah. That, that's, you nailed you nailed it. That's 100 percent correct.
0: Yeah. OK, so and then the other uh, part of that question is, you know, you got your therapy. But you've, I'm I'm guessing you've also, you also have a lot of pressure and stressful situations in this job uh, at times. And, and so does that at all help you in the moment of truth when a giant steps out and it's time to put an arrow in him? I would say, I would say yes. Um, you
1: know, there's, um, Uh, I'm going to take this from my brother, Sean. Uh, some, some people are hunters and some people are killers. Yeah. Right. And when when it comes down to it, my, my brother, Sean is a killer. Like it's, it's one of those things where he doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, missed opportunities. I I guess if a deer steps into his sights, there's a really good chance that deer is going to die. Um, and it's one of those things where I actually struggled with what I would call probably target panic for, for many years. Yeah. And, uh, just in the last couple of years, I've really been able to kind of, you know, take, take, sit and take that extra breath and, and, you know, not jump the gun, I guess you could say. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I would, to answer your question, I think, yes, it, it certainly has, um, it's, it's funny because in certain circumstances and different, uh, stressful situations, there's certain things that people remember Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I've interviewed dozens if not hundreds of officers who have been involved in shootings and it's very interesting to me um what people remember like what little details like they could tell you hey i I shot my gun three times in reality they shot 13 times yeah or you know and it's just these little these little uh things that they pick up on and you know i I don't really you know i can't really relate as much because i as an officer i've never been involved in a shooting but uh fast forward to like a deer hunting scenario it's just funny how my brain works, and I'm, it's everybody's brain, how it works when you know that deer comes in, like uh, a specific deer that I'm thinking about. Um, I, I did everything I can not to look at his rack, but I remember as I was getting ready to release the arrow, I remember watching the snot drip off his nose. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll like I'll never forget that image. And the same thing, I remember, you know, I, I can't really remember where as 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 it was playing out, I can't remember where the shot hit, but I remember watching the fletchings like enter his body.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just weird. It's just weird how your, your brain like tunes into those things. And I think that that definitely comes from being able to, um, I've I've been more successful in the later years because I've been able to kind of, you know, calm myself down.
0: Yeah. So you, you brought up something real good uh, and, um, maybe you can use your brother as a reference or uh, um, if you if you like or or yourself but you know i 100% agree with you when you say there is a difference between a hunter and a killer and it always seems to me that the killer is just a a hunter who is able to maintain control in the the high uh, the, the very tense moments where maybe a, a deer's got you pegged or maybe they're just gonna catch you or maybe you have to you know throw the arrow up over the safety harness or the bow up over the safety harness make a move in the, the stand and and adjust and and then still get the shot off or or maybe keeping cool in uh, a hard quartering or uh, a way or a hard quartering towards shot or you know things things of that what do you th- what do you think the difference is between a good hunter and a killer
1: man that's a tough question I you know um I I think I mean this is maybe generic or maybe this is kind of a a stupid answer but I think like confidence yeah I think confidence. I think confidence goes a a long way yeah um it, it actually takes me to a situation with my other brother uh a couple years ago he he shot a deer he took a shot that I would not I would not in a million years take take this same shot he shot a deer right straight on uh deer was looking right at him he actually we we got it recorded it's actually a pretty cool film um but he took the straight on shot and it was one of those things where like as i'm watching this video i'm like you you did not take that shot you did not take that shot yeah and it, he didn't even second guess it like he yeah. just knew right i gotta put this arrow right in that spot and i mean he he 12 ring this thing yeah. and i mean i think it i think it ran 40 yards and i've i've never seen a blood trail uh i think you know i think the the arrow the, the broadhead hit the the artery there in the neck and this thing, this thing bled out in a matter of no time whatsoever. I mean, it was, yeah. it was crazy. I've never seen a blood trail like that before. And it's one of those things where uh, just the confidence, like knowing exactly how your equipment works. Um, you know, for me, confidence goes into my, 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 tree stand setup. Like, you know, there's always the saying of like, first time men's the best time in. Well, I I'll sit in a tree stand in the same spot, you know, given, given the right setup, given the right wind, I'll, I'll sit there half a dozen times. And I, I've shot some, some really good deer on first sits and I've shot some really good deer on third, fourth, fifth sets. Yeah. And part of that is before I even hang a tree or before I even hang the stand, I know exactly which tree is going to give me the best opportunity and having confidence in that spot. I mean, that, that goes a long way.
0: Yeah. It, Cause if you're,
1: if you're, you know, if you're not confident in your, in your, in your spot, you're not confident in your
0: equipment, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a downhill slide. So yeah. Um, I'll tell you this, man, I, if you asked me this same question in 2016 before I shot. So I'm on a roll right now, as far as uh, filling my Iowa tag on, on a, what I consider a good buck every single uh, year since 2016. And I hope I'm not jinxing myself here, but if you were to ask me the same question, are you taking certain shots, right? Either a hard quartering towards or a hard, um, uh, quartering away or, or even a head on, you know, I would probably have a different answer than I I would today. And I think over the years, having those encounters has really given me the confidence to stay calm. And I think when you're able to stay calm in a, in a, in a tense situation like that, let's say, uh, I don't know this, this year I shot my buck at probably 10 yards head on and he was a little, a. he was on the uphill side of where my tree stand was. So he was, I was probably 18 foot up and he was probably only when I, where I shot him was probably only 10 feet up. So I had a, I was more on level with him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I drilled him right in the chest and he took hop, hop fell over dead, almost like what your brother did on that one. And, uh, and so every time that I have, that encounter or that it just gives me more confidence that I can put an arrow into a deer in an awkward situ in an awkward angle but knowing that what's behind that rib cage or what's behind that shoulder is is lethal. So, yeah, I I don't know. I I don't know from a killer standpoint I think it's just guys who are aren't afraid to take these these non-broadside shots if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean I after seeing what he did, um, I would be today. I would be much more uh, likely to take a frontal shot like mm-hmm. that, but uh, a hard quartering two where you're trying to s- slip it in behind the shoulder, um, you know, and hit the back of the lung and, and, and the liver. Yeah. Um, that still makes me really nervous because there's. I mean, I guess the big thing for me would be the distance, right? right. How close is that deer? Exactly. How 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 much could that deer move in the you know half second or three quarters, whatever it is, to take to get the arrow to him? Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that would play out, but I, I still try to do everything I can to, to, um, you know, have that deer broadside or actually I, I like a quartering away shot more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Same so
0: here. But I
1: mean, that's, that's everybody. So,
0: yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, how long have you been hunting? You know, in Minnesota, you you can start
1: deer hunting uh, shotgun season uh, as a 12 year old. I think, well, at least when I was that age, um, I think that's maybe changed. Um, but yeah, so I've been I've been gun hunting uh, since I was 12. So 20 this will be my 26th year. I'm if I'm doing math, I'm, yeah. I'm a cop, so I'm not good at math. But <laughs> uh, 30 38 this year, so this will be my 26th year uh, minus a couple years I, I spent uh, in the military. I wasn't able to. Uh, take advantage of hunting in different places which i, I now regret that i didn't yeah. do that but uh yeah so i started gun hunt when i was 12 um, and um, i i didn't really get into bow hunting until we moved until i moved to Iowa. Um, it was one of those things where in we in 2012 uh, my brother and i we, so my brother's a police officer in Des Moines and so both of us moved to Iowa to become cops and I I assure you it has nothing to do with the big deer here. <laughs> um, so don't tell our wives that. You're don't right. tell our wives. Right. That. Um so I remember that that year 2012 we actually we had a good hunting lease up in Minnesota and we went back and we never even hunted that fall in Iowa at all. And then that spring um my brother's like, hey, you know, in Iowa, we can kill we can kill a, a, a buck with a bow and a buck with a gun, and so yeah, I he had a bow. He, he bow hunted a little bit uh, while I was off uh, in the military, and um, yeah, so I went and bought a bow uh, the spring of thirteen and just got hooked.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah. So, so you found like in, in this in this last twelve years you I, I feel like you've kinda you've found a way to kill deer success uh, consistently, okay? And so let's talk a little bit about, like, for you, like, what what did this 12 year process look like to get to where you are today and really going from, you know, obviously you've hunted before, but bow hunting is a whole different animal compared to just the gun season. Right. And so what did that, what did that learning curve look like? And about how far into that 12 year process did it maybe click for you? Or did you have any type of aha moments where you're like, Hey man, this just became a whole bunch, a whole lot easier.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're right. Gun, gun hunting and bow hunting are, are two different things. And I will tell you that gun hunting and bow hunting in Minnesota is completely different than gun hunting and bow hunting in Iowa. Okay. Um, you know, and then that's part of it. Like the, I grew up hunting public land. Uh, we had access to a couple of, of private pieces connected to that public land. But as time went on, we lost permission, you know, properties got sold or whatever. But so I, I spent most of my time hunting, you know, shotgun hunting in South central and Southeast Minnesota on public land. And I'm t- like, back then, uh, you know, uh, a 125 inch deer, a, a three and a half year old deer was, you didn't, you didn't see them. Right. Like that. My, I remember my brother shot like a, a mid mid to low one twenties buck one year. And I mean, it, it, it was the talk of talk of the deer camp. Like no one had ever seen a deer that big. And I mean, it was, it was a big deal. Yeah, And then you fast forward to coming to Iowa and, um, you know it's funny those first couple years hunting public land bow hunting public land and seeing 115 or 120 or 130 inch deer like it was very very difficult to pass those deer and one thing that is like the transition of uh shooting good deer to shooting better deer or shooting great deer is passing those small ones right like the the uh Oh, sorry, I got on a kind of a tangent here. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, yeah, so the I mean, the difference between a good deer, you know, a good deer and a great deer, there's there's, I don't know, a, a path to these spots. You can shoot a, a good deer every year, but a, a great deer just it takes a different mindset and a different path yeah. to get oh, to get to that.
1: I got your, I got your answer. Here's the answer. so, Uh, yeah, it would have been around 2012. Uh, we were hunting our farm, uh, our place in Minnesota and my brother's brother-in-law shot a really nice buck. Uh, I, I, you know, in hindsight, I think it was maybe a three or four year old. I I don't recall, but you know, it was like 150 class whitetail. And I remember thinking like, this is the deer that I want to kill. These are the deer that I want, like, what do we have to do? And I remember having a conversation prior to getting that farm, getting permission you know, we're, we're chasing these small 80, 90 inch deer across the public land. And I just remember having a conversation with my brothers about like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta do something. We gotta make a move. And whether it's going to a different place to find better public land or going to a place and and leasing something or or buying something, or, you know, we got to figure something out. And I just remember, um, as we're dragging this, this 150 inch deer out, like, I just remember thinking like, okay, what do I have to do and and how do we, how do we put ourselves in a situation to be able to do this more frequently?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I mean, that's, and that's, so that's, that's, I guess one of the first rules is, um, you know, you can't kill 150 inch deer where 150 inch deer doesn't exist.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And so same thing, you know, you can't kill a four and a half year old where there are no four and a half year olds or the the chances of killing a four and a half year old is, is very slim.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that's, that's, I mean, that's when I started like, okay, I got to start doing my research. I got to figure out, you know, where in the area that I live now, you know, where, where can I locate some of these deer? Uh, where, where can I get permission or where can I lease up some ground that's going to put me in that position?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know,
1: and that's just, that's kind of the first step. And then from there, it's just, um, you know, talking to as many people as you possibly can, trying to get as much information as you possibly can, driving gravel roads, locating deer, um, Knocking on doors, and that's just that's how it started.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's just. I'm going to throw. I'm going to say something here, and you can you can go to a property, you can lease it up, you can get permission on it. Hell, you could even buy it and manage it. But there's still certain things that have to happen in order for that deer that you want to kill, right? That that 150 class or up deer that you want to kill every year. leasing up a piece of property doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be good or that that deer is going to be there when you're there. Right. So, yeah. so talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, yeah. once you started paying more attention and trying to put yourself in an area where deer were at, I mean, I could give a guy some, I could, there's guys I know who are, consider themselves hunters I could give them the best property in the state of Iowa, and they probably, they're not going to kill the, 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 the most coveted deer on the property, right? Uh, unless it was an accident, okay? Yeah. Which, which, you know, yeah. we know, we know could happen. But yes. then, then there's other guys that I could point out a piece of public to, and they're going to find the biggest deer there, and they're going to kill it. You know what I mean? And so, um, when, when you started this process of trying to locate this next caliber of deer that you really wanted to shoot, um, what did that look like for you?
1: Yeah. So, um, initially it started with talking to local people. Okay. So I, I lived, uh, down in Southeast Iowa. And, uh, before that, my brother and I, we leased a piece of ground, uh, kind of in the, in the, Urban part of Des Moines, so just on the edge of Des Moines, yeah. and not now. I mean, this was in 2014, and now fast forward up to now, and I think it's all houses and stuff. It's gone, right? Yeah. They, they, it's all been developed. Yeah, uh, but that that was a big thing of like, you know, I will talk to mail carriers. I will talk, and some of the stuff, you know, I will give credit to the uh, the nine finger chronicles podcast and, and, the, and the, and the wired to hunt podcast, you know, I was going to say when we started recording, Hey, I'm a long time listener, first time caller. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean just talking to every single person, um, it's probably got to the point to where it was probably a little annoying when people would see me come in like, Oh my God, this guy's going to want to talk about deer hunting. Yeah. And, you right. know, that That's not my problem. That's their problem. Right. <laughs> um, so, but really, I mean, and that's that's one thing like, you know, just driving around a section or driving around a neighborhood and, you know, you know as well as I do when you pull into a driveway to talk to somebody because you spotted a buck on the back side of their farm and they have a real tree camo sticker across the entire back window of their truck. Right. Realistically, you're probably not going to get permission to hunt there.
0: Right. But
1: here's what I'll tell you. Try because there, there's a chance that that guy or that that owner of that vehicle is only a gun hunter. Maybe they get together one week in a year, and, and you know I, I do think that part of it is people don't think that bow hunters are very successful. Yeah. And I, I think that part of it is people get get kind of squirrely about um, having gun hunters or people with basically the orange army walking across their property. Yeah. But yeah. if you go in there and you just talk to them, hey, I'm trying to hear. I'm trying to bow hunt. This is you know this is who I am uh I'll be honest it it usually makes people pretty comfortable knowing that I'm a police officer. Oh yeah. Um uh, so, sometimes that sometimes that backfires. Sometimes you you find that uh uh anti-police officer individual and then it's uh you know, then you got to talk yourself, you know, you got to to walk backwards and try to get out of that situation as fast as you can, but
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, not to interrupt you here, but no, I I interviewed um a guy who was a county sheriff and yeah. he told me that his bread and butter to gain access to farms was to show up in his squad car and in his full uniform and talk to the landowner. And he's like, it was a slam dunk for several years. Like I, I, I they, they gave me whatever I wanted to do on their farm. They yeah, let, I, let me do it.
1: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm certainly at a disadvantage because I'm in a, 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 a I'm in the non-uniform division. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, dressed, I'm dressed like Jake from state farm. <laughs> so,
0: Who's yeah. this guy trying to sell me insurance today?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you I, just the other day I knocked on a guy's door and I was there to talk to him about something. And he's like, he's like, Oh man, I thought you were with the insurance company. I'm like, well, no, a little different, <laughs> but he's like, you just, he's like, you look like an insurance guy. So maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing, but that's funny.
0: That's funny. Um,
1: yeah. So, you know, back to the original question. So trying to locate, that was the first thing is talking to people. Okay. And even with a lease, like I'll I'll, I'll talk to a, a local DNR guy, or I'll talk to maybe someone who's hunted there before, or whatever, and just said, "Hey, what are the likely? What's the likelihood of me seeing a four and a half year old deer? What's the likelihood of me, you know, catching up with a one fifty or one sixty or something like that?" And you know, most of the time they'll they'll give me an honest answer. Yeah. Um. And um. At least I think so. And and then the other thing is, once you get permission, then it's like, okay. Within this farm or within this area, maybe I have maybe I have permission on two or three of these little farms in this neighborhood. And something that looks not not so great from the air, something you look at an aerial photo and you're gonna go, man, there's no deer in there. Like a one farm I'm thinking of in particular, like you look at that on the aerial photo and you think, dude, there's no like you could kill deer in there because you know there's deer around, but there's no way that there's a booner in there. Yeah. And I've got a I've got a piece of ground that's 22 acres and. I kid you not, this is the first year, this is the first year since 2014, I have not had at least two deer over 170 on camera. Yeah. Now, yeah. not that I'm putting a whole lot of weight into what I see in velvet. I mean, I do, but I don't. Um, but at least here, that's the big thing is, is, are those deer, is that bigger caliber deer in the area? Do I have an opportunity to actually kill a 160 or 170? And here's proof that those deer exist. Yeah. So that that goes into my equation of like, okay, now it's easier for me to pass those three and a half year old, 130, 140 you know, even one fifty inch deer. And it's funny because I, I send videos of deer walking by my tree stand to my brothers, and both of them are like, "Dude, you're crazy. Why? Why are you? You know, you gotta kill that thing. Like that's you know, that's hundred fifty inch deer, hundred forty inch deer. Like you're crazy. Yeah. But you, you can't kill a one seventy when you kill a one forty.
0: Right. Right. And, uh, I, I don't know if it was necessarily a mistake when I, cause I was chasing a, a 200 inch deer for like, well, he was over, he was over 170 in 2017, 2018. And I think you, 2000, okay. 2000, no, excuse me. 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, I hit him and, um, uh, I hit him in the shoulder, and then on 2011, the neighbor shot him, uh, and he he scored out at right at 200. Okay, but when I shot him, he was probably mm-hmm. like 210 or something like that. And long story short, as I'm chasing this one particular deer for that for those those years, I was passing deer that I should have shot a hundred percent have should have shot. Did did you instantly step up to? Like one fifty plus, or did you stair step your way up there, like by killing a couple one thirties and killing a couple one forties, or did you just have it set in your mind? I have a benchmark of one fifty. If it does not meet that criteria, it will not get shot. No, so
1: uh, back up to like twenty thirteen. Um, you know, I was leasing ground in Minnesota. I was leasing ground in Iowa, and um, hunting hunting some public in Iowa. And I remember passing like early in the season, you know, passing like 110 to 120, 125, even 130 inch deer. And then, you know, then as the time goes on, as the season goes on, you know, I ended up shooting 121 inch deer. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, I, in that early 20, um, 20, 2015, 2016, um, I shot some smaller caliber deer, a couple of two and a half year olds. And I think part of that is like, you know, those are some of the first deer that I killed, um, uh, with a bow and it, like, killing a deer with a gun is completely different than killing a deer with a bow. Yeah. Um, sure. you know, so, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I stair-stepped a little bit. Um, in 2016, I picked up a piece of ground that, uh, I found a deer on there that had, um, you know, just to give the, the listeners a perspective, it, I, it, he was probably 22 or 23 inches wide. And he had, uh, he was a mainframe 10 with double kickers on his brow. So he had double brow tines on both sides. I would put this, I would put this deer in 2016, I'd put him probably 165, maybe a little better. Um, and I had an encounter with that deer and I hunted like, it's one of those things where, um, 2016, 2017, 2018, I specifically went after one deer each one of those years. And I was, I was never successful on any one of those deer. Yeah, uh, I had encounters with them. I got close to them, but it never, it never worked out. So then like I, in 2019, I basically like, okay, now it's, I'm not going to go after a specific deer. I'm going to go after a different caliber of deer. Yeah. And yeah. Um, then, then it changed. And that's, that's where uh, I've had some more success, but um, yeah, p- passing smaller deer, and to answer your question, I started out killing a couple 120s, yes. a couple 130s, and then uh, in 2016, that buck that I was telling you about, I actually had an encounter with him. Uh, I shot him at 12 yards. Um, I'm telling you, I can play this moment around in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling a 60-pound bow at the time. He's at 12 yards, and I got about... I hit him. He's quartering away hard. I hit him back, and I got about four inches of penetration. Oh, boy. Yeah, so... Um, I actually, I hit him and he ran down in this ditch and he, and I didn't see him pop up the other side, but instantly I called my brother and said, Hey, and I, I nicknamed this deer Nathan after, uh, my brother's brother-in-law. Um, and there's a whole story behind that too, but <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I nicknamed him Nathan. I said, dude, I just shot Nathan. I said, I just shot him, you know, quartering away, 10 yards, whatever. Uh, you know, you gotta help, come help me drag him out. Well, as I'm on the phone with him, I look up and like he's walking across the this this field like and i could see you know 38 inches of arrow sticking out of his back and i'm like what the heck well what i think happened and i, I granted this is an excuse i understand that um shot placement is everything you can kill a deer with a fixed blade you can kill a deer with a expandable you know just it's all about shot placement but i think i was shooting an expandable broadhead at the time i think i hit a rib and it deflected along like the rib cage and it never went into the cavity of the deer. Oh uh, yeah. So, cause when I found the arrow, like I said, it, it, I only had about three inches past the end of the, of the broadhead that were bloody. And I found, um, a couple patches of blood where he kind of stood up in the field and he just kind of bled a little bit. Um, uh, but yeah, the next year I got pictures of him on that same farm, all nighttime photos, never got a daylight photo of him in 2017. And he had, uh, a big scar on his back. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I never, I don't know what happened to that deer. I actually think that looking at pictures of him in 16 and looking at pictures of him in 17, he actually got bigger after I injured, after I shot him. Yeah. Which is not normal. Um, but yeah, that, that, that taught me a lot. Um, mostly about how that, that there's no, no whole nother backstory about, um, kind of what you talk about on your on your podcast is you know not getting sucked into those same spots yeah and so that was that was one of the first times I'm like okay i gotta move my tree stand to put him in put me in a better situation because i know where the deer's coming from and that literally the night i put i hung that tree stand and climbed in it and within 20 minutes he was walking by at 10 yards
0: yeah and then so, so and then did you end up killing that buck
1: no i didn't so that, that in 2017 i never got a daylight photo of him he went completely nocturnal um, I'm convinced he died on the neighbor's property. Um, th- there's a, a neighbor in that area who has a big shed full of dead heads and he, he owns a ton of ground. Um, and I, I think he, it's, it's hanging in there. I, I in fact, I have a, a little, uh, let's call it reconnaissance or intelligence to know that, uh, he either found it dead or somebody killed it or whatever, but the, the deer's hanging in uh, the neighbor's shed.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, Kind of going back to the time frame when you were uh, you were hunting a specific deer, but wasn't finding the success, right? Because I, I went through that stage. I went through a only hunt a specific deer to now I have a caliber that I'm looking at. And it doesn't have to be like five specific deer. It's just if this buck meets my criteria when it walks by, then I'll shoot it. But when you were going after a specific gear and, and you were not finding success, what do you think you contribute that to?
1: Well, I mean, part of it is I have no ability on any of my farms uh, up to this point to really manipulate the ground. So I don't do food plots. I don't, I don't. Uh, one time we we left some standing corn on, we paid the farmer to leave some standing corn and, uh we realized very quickly that we have way more deer than we thought we did and the corn was gone by like november 4th yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know when you when you when you leave a half when you leave a half acre of corn standing uh in south central minnesota that de- that corn because there's not very many deer yeah. that corn is going to last you you know up until january if you do it in uh southeast minnesota uh that corn's going to be gone before halloween yeah because there's so yeah. many fr- there's so many more deer yeah um yeah. So I think a big part of it is not, not being able to really manipulate or, or you know, you, I look back at those properties and, and, and think about like, man, if I could have done this or if I could have done this just in terms of put a food plot here or manipulate this in which we could, you know, I could create a bedding area or something like that. Maybe I could put myself in a better situation. Um, but I think for the most part, uh, man, it, deer, once they get to be five, six, seven years old, they are smart. You know, their, their whole, their whole existence is to survive and to breed though. That's eat, eat, sleep and, and breed. That's what they do yeah. and survive obviously. Yeah. And, uh, when you're trying to beat them at that, at that own game, at that, at their own game, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. So I, I give a lot of credit and props to people who are able to go in and kill a specific deer and do it routinely. Um, you know, I don't know what I would, I don't know what I would change as far as how I hunted those deer, um, you know, one, one that I'm thinking about in particular hindsight, I would have moved a a tree stand or I would have tried to hunt a little bit further up uh, a ridge up to a toward a ridge top. But there was part of me was worried about the way the wind and the way it's set up was like, you know, this is the, this is the most conservative position. This is the safest position. If I want to continually come back in here, this is my best option. I was worried that if I moved it even 60, 70, 80 yards up this hill, there's just more of a risk of bumping that deer out because I, I could have told you which series of ridges he was bedding on. I yeah. just didn't know if he was on the, on the West end or if he was on the East end. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's funny cause that particular deer I'm talking about, I chased him all of 2018. I had uh, two separate encounters with him from the tree in 2018. I came to full draw one time and it just didn't pan out. Um, he no idea I was there. I never got busted by him. Uh, well, he did bust me walking across the field one time, walking back to my truck. He, he caught me after dark. Um, but the next year I never got a single photo of him. Never, no velvet photos, no nothing. And on November 12th, it was super, super cold that year. And, um, I'm sitting there actually in there in this piece of timber looking for another deer. And, uh, that deer comes walking down the hill right right to me and i shot him at uh, 11 yards and there and i actually didn't know it was him until i recovered him
0: yeah yeah so so you go through the you go through the kind of the stair step stage and then you say to yourself okay i want to i want to hunt a specific class of deer and then you you start you start you know getting encounters but not necessarily being successful in in getting an arrow in them. And then something happens in in this moment. And you kind of, you've already said to yourself, Hey, I gotta, I gotta start moving and I gotta start doing things. I gotta take action, some kind of action in order to get yourself into a better shooting scenario with, with the caliber of deer. What were those things that you did in order to get um, better shot opportunities on that caliber of deer that you ultimately wanted? Yeah, a big part
1: of it was, you know, for years, and we still we still do it now. I'm I'm guilty of it. Um, Setting up like predetermined locations, right? Setting up three stands, and and there's one particular farm on one of the leases we have. Uh, It's just a river crossing, and I'm telling you, it's basically where two two creeks come together, and they they it's an east west creek with a north basically a north ditch that drains into it. And where that north-south ditch drains into that creek, um, we have a tree stand overlooking that spot. You hunt it on a wind out of the north. It blows your scent back up over a pasture. And I'm telling you, Dan, if you sit there from November 3rd to November 10th and you sit there during that time and you have a north wind the whole time, because that's, that's the scenario I'm setting up, uh, you will you will have an opportunity at 140-inch deer or better. You will have an opportunity. like If you just put your time in, yeah. Um, so that's a location that I'm always going to put a tree stand, right? Yep. Because if I get someone who comes to hunt with us and there's a North wind and I'm hunting, uh, hunting another location, I'm going to say, Hey, sit in that tree. And actually I, a, a buddy of mine, um, they had shot opportunities at two different deer all in the same morning and they just, it, it didn't pan out for them. Um, so the, to answer your question, the big thing is not being able not being afraid to move, yeah. right? Um. Don't get stuck in these locations. I mean, even though, and I can think of half a dozen places on my different farms that, um, you know, I'm going to always hang a tree stand in there because I'm always going to see deer. I'm always going to be in an opportunity. And part of that is the fact that the the properties are so small that there's not a lot of options for tree stands. But um, one big thing from last year was, you know, I, I just in this particular farm, I had my two pre established tree stands that I was having some good hunts in. But I just knew that, okay, the wind was going to switch from the northwest and I want to be closer into this little thicket because I see that's where deer are moving through. Yeah. And the night before, I hung – I went in there, put a tree stand up. It was only about eight feet off the ground, but it's a, basically what I could do to get into these spots and made it happen. And the next morning, um, I, I walked in there in right as the rain is – I actually sat in my truck because it was pouring rain and – The rain was just finishing. It was probably about eight thirty in the morning, and right as the rain's finishing, I'm walking in. I get in the tree. I'm I'm in the tree for maybe forty five minutes, and you know a a larger caliber, hundred and sixty class deer comes walking through, and I I tag him at twenty two yards. Yeah. So just knowing like these, I and I pinpointing these locations, and this was this particular location is. Uh, it's a it's a it's a river crossing on the south side of the river is a really thick spot where the deer like to bed those like to bed and then basically it opens up to this basically creek crossing river bottom area and I knew that deer were coming from the west and coming west to east and I basically sat as the wind you know uh blew basically over the pasture again um, with the bedding just to my west I knew he was gonna I knew the deer were gonna cruise in there. And uh, check that check that doe bedding area, and that's exactly what he was doing.
0: Gotcha. Well, so, so you started to figure out things out, terrain features, uh, access routes, um, all yeah. all of the buzzwords that we talk about in this podcast and, and, and hunting strategy across all podcasts and all writing and and, and things like that. Um, and, and so every. Every time you put a a stand in or or you had an encounter, was your confidence like snowballing to the point where you're just like, now I can feel confident passing these 130, 140 class deer because I know from trail camera data and from, you know, just putting time in the stand that I, at some point I'm going to get an encounter with a shooter. Yeah, I mean,
1: definitely like, and that, that, that confidence has been there. You know, like I said a little earlier in the podcast, you know, you can't you can't shoot a 170 when you shoot a 140. Yeah. And just having the having that mindset the entire time, the entire season. So, um, having transitioned up to to Northern Iowa, uh, nothing is more disheartening uh, as you're moving your entire family and home up to um, <laughs> up to Northern Iowa, where there are far fewer deer um, on on opening weekend. So we moved uh, October 2nd of last year.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so
1: I, I, I had to change my, change my game plan. I had to set it up to where basically I took a block, I took a week off uh, of work and I was just going to hunt. And that, that's having the confidence of, of knowing all my previous experience and all, you know, basically how everything is all set up. You know, that's basically, I have to basically put all my eggs in that one basket and uh, it, I don't have the, the luxury of you know popping out on a cold front or um, you know doing doing hunting in October that's going to have to change this year uh, due to uh, some some things that have arose <laughs> in my personal life. Uh, no, wait a second.
0: You have to tell the story because I, you know it happens, right? You know, um, my brother is a perfect example. They struggled to get pregnant with their first child. The second child. Just like that, right? So you got to tell your story because you felt like you had some time because because yeah. long story short, you got a baby coming in November.
1: Yes, November. My son will be born uh, on November fifteenth.
0: Okay, but tell the tell the story about your first child leading into the second child.
1: Yeah. So uh, this is uh, yeah, this is a this is a tough one. Uh, so I uh, you know our our daughter. Um, It it was one of those things where we kind of struggled to get get pregnant right away. I mean, it wasn't. I know. I know people wait months and years and try for a long time, uh, but we had we had some difficulty initially. And um, you know, our daughter was born uh, April of twenty one, twenty yeah, twenty one. And so when my wife uh, number one says, "Hey, we're moving back to North Central Iowa, uh, and we're going to have another kid," Uh, that was like, I, okay, I, what, you know, okay, well, let's move back. To Iowa. <laughs> she made the decision uh,
0: for you already. <laughs> yeah. We're all
1: my, we're all my, we're all my deer hunting land is not. Yeah. And then, uh, let's have another kid to complicate our lives a little more. Perfect. Yeah. That yeah. sounds great.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, so yeah, I'm thinking going into this, like, Hey, you know, let's realistically, you know, this probably isn't going to be like a one and done this, you know, let's, let's, uh, quote unquote, enjoy the ride let's, yep. let's, uh, yep. see how this, uh, pans out. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, the first attempt was the best attempt and, uh,
0: first time she, in, best time in, right. <laughs> but,
1: for, yeah. First time in, best time in. And, uh, yeah, lo and behold, I'm, I'm shooting for like a January, February baby. Yeah. And it uh, turns out, uh, November 15th. Oh, so,
0: boy, so you're going to have just like, you better, you're kind of hoping that that baby comes later rather than earlier.
1: You know, I, yeah, um, it's one of those things where I realize that over the next couple of years, it's going to be very difficult.
0: Yeah.
1: But I, but my hope is that, okay, we're having a boy. So any of my family members who listen to this, who don't know we're pregnant, uh, surprise <laughs> and uh, we're having a boy. So double surprise. Yep. But um, yeah. So my hope is that when he's like six, seven, eight years old, or, you know, a few years from now, it's going to be like, Hey buddy let's go, let's go kill a buck on your birthday. Mm-hmm, huh? Mm-hmm. Should we get a birthday buck? And then yeah. it's like, Oh, well now we got to go hunting. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's, I mean, that's life. And, yep. uh, i am i I'm already setting up, uh, 2022 to, to, I, I realized that I'm going to hunt a little differently this year. I'm probably not going to get the time in this, the tree. Cause I, if, you know, i I've heard different people say different things, but if I was going to tell you to take a week off of work, I would say, november 5th to the 12th
0: yeah
1: that's that's i mean the, all my now granted it's uh you know it's your success time because you're in the tree and that's what leads to success but yeah i have seen the deer activity i've seen between i will tell you november 5th and november 7th are the two best days to hunt on my farms yeah period yeah and then in the recent years i've had really good success around the 10th 11th 12th and then also um you know, between the fifteenth and the nineteenth, it just seems like my cameras just explode with deer run. Yeah. Um so yeah, I I, I realize that I'm gonna probably have to hunt in October. Um and I've I've done some of that. Um I, I know it's kind of an old school mindset, but like don't hunt mornings in October. I'm still that way. I'm I'm probably gonna have to come off my old ways uh and, and do some morning hunts. And I, I'm actually thinking about taking uh, like the first week of October off and seeing if I can get it done early. Um, Iowa, we have the the luxury of, uh, having an early muzzleloader season, which is typically the second and third weekend in October. I've actually been successful in early muzzleloader in the past. Um, so I, I bought, I actually bought a tag already and I'm planning on hunting early muzzleloader. Um, you know, that's probably gonna probably be my best bet. Um, But yeah, just, just the transition, it's going to be, it's going to be a change. It's going to be different, but, um, I'm looking forward to it and, uh, you know, I've got cameras and stuff out right now. And my brother and I, we invested in some, uh, cell cams, um, recently, end of last year and end of this year. And that's been fun to, 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 to see that. But at the same time, it, you know, it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not 15 minutes from my farm anymore. I'm, I'm three and a half hours. So it's, uh, it'll be different, but it's just part of the,
0: part of the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, um, a lot of people, so I, I picked up a, a piece of property that is two and a half hour or no, wait, three hours from where I live from where I currently live. And then my other main farm is an hour South of where I live. I just lost a piece of property. That's 10 minutes from my farm because the landowner died and uh, they're, they're going to sell it. So it's kind of, it's made me have to think about travel time a little bit more. Um, How are, how are you planning because you have two and a half hours in order to get down there? Are these going to be weekend trips um, are these going to be quick trips or are these good, or is this going to be like a, Hey, I'm going to be down there for seven days or I'm going to hunt as hard as I can until I get a deer, uh, you know, talk to us yeah. about the logistics of this, knowing that you got a baby coming in November.
1: Well, I, I think the easiest answer to that question is I'm going to do whatever my wife allows me to do.
0: <laughs> good answer. Right? That, good that, answer. That's the answer. Yeah.
1: So, um, I, I think my plan for the most part is um weekends. You know, if I can take you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the weather, obviously. Um I I cold fronts in October, I I definitely think there's something to that. Um but yeah, I'm gonna I would say the first three weeks of October, I'm gonna do what I can to be in there um on the weekends or you know, I'm not I'm not afraid. I mean, when we when we had our lease in Minnesota, I would drive two hours and 45 minutes one way every 10 days to replace our D cell batteries on our wild game innovation cameras that we had because right, we right. got, we got a super deal on these wild game innovation cameras that took four photos and then shut off. Um, <laughs> I think you remember. wild It's nothing against wild game innovation. I'm going to say it's the technology of 2011
0: and 2012. No, no, no Time out. Like I think I, one of the first times I've met you, you vented to me about that something or something like that where you yeah. were just like these goddamn cameras like <laughs> dude
1: i'm not i'm not kidding like the worst part is the worst part is at the time cuz i was really cool so yeah. i drove a Volkswagen Jetta <laughs> yeah i was i was awesome yep so I, I i had to drive my Jetta across the state of Minnesota to check my trail cameras and then i c- couldn't drive into the farms at all i had to park <laughs> on the road and, I, and then I'd have to walk three quarters of a mile back into the. And this is like July, September, or July, August. This is hot, you know. Right. There's one one camera we had for some reason because it, for some reason because the mindset back then was, hey, let's go put this camera in the best possible situation or the best place in the middle of this bedding area, and let's not think about the fact that every time we go in there and check it, we're going to kick deer <laughs> out of there. And oh, and by the way, let's make it so I have to cross a river. So I would I would get down to my underwear. I would walk across the river. I'd put my pants and my boots back on. I'd go and check that camera. I'd kick fifty deer out of this this bedding area. I'd get my nine photos on my on my uh, camera, and I'd turn around and go back. And then I'd like so. I'm not afraid to drive three and a half hours just for twenty minutes of hunting or twenty minutes of fun. uh, That's that's not a problem. It's just a matter of uh, what I can get away with. uh, with my better half. And so uh, to answer your question, probably weekends, um, you know, I do have a pretty flexible schedule, so it's easy for me to take like a Friday or a Monday off. So I can maybe, uh, maybe early that first, I think opening weekend is a Sat. yeah. October 1st is a Saturday. So maybe go down on the 30th and, and stay till like the third. Um, and then, uh, maybe do the same thing the following weekend. Um, but we'll see As, as I get closer to, uh, Uh, the 15th of November, I think my wife's going to be less likely to be as, as, uh, uh, loving and, uh, um, willing to let me leave. So,
0: and that brings us to an end of this podcast again. I really do uh, apologize for the awkward ending there. I'm going to get him on again to talk about the, uh, the leasing side of the, uh, The leasing side of his strategy and how he goes about locating leases, because I think that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, A lot of people, they talk about either owning the land, having permission on it, or public land. There's not like, no one really ever talks about the leasing aspect of it. So I'm going to get into that on another episode, hopefully here pretty soon before, you know, the season gets rocking and rolling, but there's still time to pick up a lease if you're uh, maybe interested in leasing. So, Other than that, huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to uh, listen to this, listen to the Hunting Gear podcast, listen to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Just following along on the Sportsman's Empire podcast network, dude, we have added so many awesome content providers to the lineup that if you're not listening to more than just the Nine Finger Chronicles, you're really missing out. And I will put the podcasts that we are launching on the empire i'll put them up against any other podcast on the uh, that's that's out there period that's how confident i am that uh we're putting out the best content in 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 the space so huge shout out to tethered to wasp to hunt stand to vortex please go out and support the brands that support the nine finger chronicles along with interstate batteries bowtech outdoor edge go wild moultrie mobile and of course, Hunt stand there on the network side of things, uh, huge contributors to making this whole thing possible and in believing in, in the network as a whole. So go out, support those brands. It's time to get serious. You sons of guns, be safe, get serious, make good decisions, make sure everything's taken care of at home before we all start heading out and then go out and slay my brothers. So uh, good vibes in good vibes out Wear your safety harness and we'll talk to you next time.